Hey guys, I'm excited about this week's episode because we have as a special guest, Jack Harper. He's the vice president and men's director for Save One. Save One is a ministry to those who've gone through abortion. And what Jack does is he works with the men on the side of abortion. He's a former pastor, he's a board certified mental coach, and he's a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Jack brings a unique perspective as he's worked with men in the aftermath of abortion. And what's funny is we usually don't think of men being in the aftermath of abortion, but they are. And Jack tells us some interesting things about it. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Confident Man Podcast, empowering men with the confidence they need to live their adventure. Now, here is your host, David Maxwell. All right, Jack, welcome to the Confident Man Podcast. Hey, thank you for uh, letting me be on here with you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks yeah, so we're much. glad to have you. Um, now, you're the men's director of Save One. And mm-hmm. just for my audience, can you give a brief overview of what Save One does and what your role is there? Yep. We, we help men, women, and family members recover from the aftermath of abortion. So abortion is a tough subject. We realize that it's a subject that needs to be talked about. And one of the things that happens is in that process after in the aftermath. So just backing up a little bit, we love what pregnancy centers are doing. We love the brave work that they do. And we love the sidewalk counselors and advocates that are there trying to help people make a better decision than what they're making going into those abortion clinics. Uh, But what we know is, is that there are 63 million women that have come out the back door of those abortion clinics. And Mm -hmm. coming out that back door, there is guilt, there is shame, there is grief, there is sorrow. And so what has happened is that women have lost the ability to uh, have motherhood here on earth with them. And not only have the women lost that, men have lost that too. Men lost fatherhood. So with every one of those children, there was a father that was attached. And beyond that, there's two sets of grandparents for each one of those children. There's aunts and uncles, there's siblings, there's nieces and nephews. This is a an attack on this family. And mm. so what, what we found at Save One and what we purpose to do at Save One is that God heals, Jesus forgives, and that the abortion issue has damaged people and we want to help them recover from that aftermath. What's a little bit of your story, how you ended up doing this? Um... I know you and your wife do this together. So give us give us yeah. the brief history of that. So uh, just going back to how it started, and, and this might be a little bit longer answer than what you're asking, but we, uh, my wife and I met in the middle of about seven years of her being just off the rails after a decision for an abortion. She, uh, she had a chosen abortion in 1985. We met somewhere in about the middle of that. And um, at that time, I was actually an alcoholic and continued in that for a while. So we we came together and we were just two hot messes. I mean, honestly. And so um, 
we didn't we couldn't think of a better thing to do than to take those two hot messes and make it one big hot mess so we got married in the middle of that <laughs> and uh, after we got married we had been married about a year and a half and she finally told me about her abortion and the reason she didn't is, is abortion is a very shame-based uh yeah. aftermath has a very shame-based aftermath and so she she was concerned that I would leave her and I, and I didn't want to do that. I, all I wanted to do was help her mm-hmm. get out of these uh, of this unhinged lifestyle that she was living. And so she finally found her healing through a faith-based Bible study that the local pregnancy center was offering. Mm-hmm. So she got her healing. She had reconnected with the Jesus of her youth. And she made it her absolute life goal to get me to have that same experience with Jesus that she had had. And so I wasn't really a willing participant uh, in that. Um, We had a lot of passionate discussions about church and why I had to go to church. But uh, what I, what I, and I tell people this all the time, what I figured out is that life was more peaceful on the weeks that I went to church with her. And and I like to say that she was taking classes online and those classes were how to make your husband's life hell on earth if he doesn't go to church with you. <laughs> so uh, she was a 4.0 student, obviously, in that. Yeah. And um, one Sunday, uh, I had drank all day Saturday and passed out you know, sometime during the late hours of, the, of Saturday. And the next morning when I woke up, she was asking, are we going to church? And I said, sure. And and my entire motivation for church that day was just to have a peaceful day with her and a peaceful week because uh, I, I, I felt really bad. So um, we went to church. I met the Lord that day. I knew who he was. I just didn't want him in as a as a Lord in my life. I understood yeah. I needed the Savior. I understood my lifestyle was messed up. But I can I, I surrendered everything to him that day. So I he delivered me from alcohol that day as well. Wow. I haven't had a drink. I haven't had drugs since then, and I'm over 23 years sober now. And uh, something happened that day that Sheila and I didn't even realize the magnitude of. We we just decided that whatever God has for us, whatever He asked of us, that we would do it. So. Um, we just decided our answer was yes, whatever it was. We had gotten mm-hmm. to this party late and we just wanted to have the fullness of the party. So he started asking us to do things. And one of the things he did was he started pushing on her to teach this Bible study that she knew about at the church that we were in at that time. So her healing happened in Chattanooga. We moved to Nashville. And, um, and so we had been in Nashville about four years, five years. She talked to our pastor. Our pastor said, yes, absolutely. I want you to teach this. So she started teaching that Bible study. And mm-hmm. from that very quickly came her not, not for profit status as save one. So that's, that's the beginnings of that. And I know you ask, ask about my part with it. We, we yeah. worked together in that. In the beginning, she was doing save one and I had a business that we were uh, we had a family business, and so we were working together, but we were separate. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Lord asked us to plan a church and become church planners. So we did that in 2007, 
And we did that for 11 years. And then in the beginning in February, February 6th of 2018, we were actually in Branson, Missouri at a leadership meeting, the one that you and I had just spoken of just a few yeah. minutes ago. And we were in separate meetings at the time. And the Lord told both of us that he was taking us out of our church. And so we were really surprised by that. So what, what ultimately happened was through a, a series of events, he moved us from uh, being lead pastors in the church to, to working together to further save one and to steward in a, um, in, a, in a model that had the two of us working together for the first time full time. So, so I know your focus at Save One is mm -hmm. is on the men, mm -hmm. and um, most of us we really don't think about men when it comes to abortion. Yeah. Why do Why do you think one? I'd like to hear how your focus became the men on the side of the abortion, and, and why we kind of overlook men. Why do you think that is today? Well, I'm going to answer the second question first, and yeah. I think the other side, the the pro choice, the pro death side of this. I think they were ingenious in the beginning to try to exclude men from the conversation because yeah. what they're doing when they push the men away and they did it uh, and, and everybody recognizes these mantras from early on, it's my body, my choice. And, mm -hmm. and what that means is you don't have a choice. You don't have a say in this. And so from early on, they have conditioned us to as a society to think that men don't have a play in this mm. when very much it is their child, the men's child, as much as it is the woman's child. So that's, that's how I think that the, we don't think about men when we yeah. think about the abortion if, issue. And so I think that's how that, that focus happened uh, for me and my part here when God called me out of pastoral leadership and into this role, there, there were some things that Sheila, um, she, she's, she has her master's in counseling. She has, she is a, an incredible woman. She's an incredible leader. She's, um, she's led thousands of volunteers over the years to, to help move this along and to help people. But tr really and truly, uh, a woman, uh, just can't enter a man's world in, in this arena and say, this is what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. The, the book that she and I initially wrote, she just asked me, you know, we kind of collaborated on it, but it was very loosely because that was her ministry and I was doing something else in the beginning. And, um, what it ended up being and what we realized and it had to change was that was a, a book written by a woman uh, with women's stories in it for men, and that mm -hmm. doesn't work. And yeah. so, it, it, much in the same way, and this isn't a uh, this isn't some uh, misogynistic view of life. Much in the same way, a man can't write a women's book with men's stories and expect that women are going to be able to be reached by it the same way. Yeah. So. All we do is all we realize is that there there needed to be something more for men. Uh, mm -hmm. The way that we speak to each other is different than the way women speak to each other. The way we talk, the way we communicate, the way 
like one in some of the chapters in the women's book, it's dealing with emotions. And I told her, I said, look, we, we can't write that because men just don't want to sit down in a huddle and talk about their emotions. They're, they're not going to want to fully engage in that. So mm-hmm. w- the wording is different. The stories are different. When I, when I took the book and said, all right, we need to change this to a, a man's point of view. When I took that book and wrote it and handed it back to her, she said, we can't talk to people this way. And I said, honey, this is, <laughs> this is the way men speak. And yeah. so we sent it to a friend of ours, somebody that both of us very much um, respect and love and, and honor. And he wrote back and he had just a few very small changes. And Sheila was like, wow, I, that surprises me. And I said, yeah, honey, this is, this is the man's perspective and the man's view. So, yeah. Why do you think, I I loved what you said earlier, it was very interesting about how they kind of left the man out of the debate Mm -hmm. and they've created that stereotype for men. Why, why do you think they did that? Why do you think that was a part of it? Well, um, what happens for us, for, for the way that we perceive this, men are created by God to be the, the provider, the protector, the priest, the prophet of their homes. And abortion rips away the ability for them to be the protector. So mm-hmm. what, what, what they're doing is they're trying to take away Uh, it's like they're trying to strip manhood away from them so that they can't, they can't be the protector of the, uh, not, not just the ones that have already happened, but walking forward. So what they try to do is just take the man's voice out of it. I mean, very Mm -hmm. simply, that's what we've believed all along. No. And that, that makes sense when you put it that way, because it, you see it, but you may not connect the dots. Uh, the exact same way of, of what they've done. Do you also think that abortion has allowed some men to kind of abdicate their their role uh, of fatherhood and things like that and kind of giving them a quote unquote way out? I think I, I would say that that is always the possibility, but I don't mm-hmm. see it from the men that come to us. I don't see that as a... Um, I don't see that as a regular way that men view this mm. because they come to us in so many different ways. And I, uh, if I can just expand on that a little bit, I yeah, mean, yeah, do overstepping another, another way. We, we have men that come into this situation. They know that their, their spouse, their girlfriend their partner, whatever, they know they're pregnant and they don't want anything to do with it. That, that's the stereotype that yeah. is placed on all men. But it, yeah. it really isn't that way when they come to us. Mm. We have men that come that want the child, but don't feel like because they've been conditioned that they don't have a voice, they don't feel like they can even speak up. Okay. And when I say that, I'm, you think, oh, well, men will speak up. I'm talking about big, burly guys that are men's men. Yeah. They feel like they can't say anything. So they don't. Yeah. And then ultimately the abortion happens and they become um, very guilt ridden for never having said anything. So we have men that, that pay for it. They're, 
They don't want to have anything to do with it. We have men that come back years later and say, you know what, I just made a horrible mistake and I don't know how to deal with what's going on in me. We have them that come that way. We have men that come that never knew about the pregnancy, but they get the call that says, hey, you were a father, but you're not anymore. And that's a very shocking phone call for them to get. There is pain and, and hurt and grief that's associated with with those types of calls and then we have uh, men such as myself and and this is really a lot more prevalent than most people know men that have married into um, and the aftermath of of an abortion Mm -hmm. and they didn't they didn't know about it but now it is a part of something that in their family dynamics that they're having to deal with and so in in all of those scenarios, uh, stereotypes can be placed on men, but yeah. really and truly, there's not a, a one size fits all for the for the men that are coming and seeking help when they come to. Yeah, us. yeah. no, I, w- I would agree with that. I'm, I'm I like the way you put that because I I agree. I think men have allowed themselves to be stereotyped by our society. And I think we bought into it when I, I don't think most of them are legitimate. There are similarities, but every man is unique. Yeah. And I think we've kind of forgotten that and allowed the stereotypes to just kind of move us along yep. um, in that way. How, it's interesting, you said, how how has the, the shame factor affected the men? Because a lot of times we don't think about shame in something like this. We think of shame for the lady but what have you seen in the men, how that shame of either they participated by paying for it or they didn't know about it? How, how does that hurt them? Um, how have you seen that manifested in the men? Well, you, you, have, you have these things that happen when that decision's made, whether you made it or not, there is this uh, myriad of emotions. And those motion, those emotions have symptoms that come along with it. So mm-hmm. what, what has happened in so many times is, is you have a man that participated and they, they made the choice and they paid or drove their partner down there and then they get to get there and they feel guilt for what they did. They feel shame about the process of participation in that. And so what happens is they start trying to mask that. And the masking process comes with um, drugs and alcohol. Those are very common in the men that come to us. Pornography is a, the drugs and alcohol kind of numb yourself. So they're looking for a numbing there. The pornography is another issue that's a big deal. And with the pornography, what, what they're doing is they are uh, finding gratification without Mm -hmm. the chance of pregnancy. Yeah. Because the pregnancy is a, is viewed as a bad situation for them, mm-hmm. and so that happens. They they have workaholism. What they what they're trying to do is that if they can just provide um, enough, the, the bigger house, the best toys, to the best vehicles, then it will somehow offset this thing that happened in their past, and they don't have to deal with it. Yeah, and all of these things, you know. Um, some men just have relational issues with women because yeah. of it. And, and they never really get to the place that God has created them to be. 
So for me, all of this has to do with this, this rightful place in the kingdom that all of us have been created for. I have been created in this time for a reason, and God knows what that is, and He's constantly trying to push me into the direction and lead me into that place where I'm supposed to be. But it's the same for you, David. You were created for this time, for this to happen, um, and to help men in, in what's going on. All of us have this created moment and plan, purpose, and destiny, and abortion strips that. And yeah. abortion takes that away from us. So on a human level, with reasoning and critical thinking, we're, we don't have the ability to fix that problem that we either participated in or we were thrust into. The only way that we can find healing from that moment is from a divine intervention, and that divine intervention can only come through Holy Spirit or God's Word, and God's Word will always make a way for us. So yeah. that's that's what the when I say we have three Bible studies, one for men, one for women, and one for people in the ripple effect, then yeah. those Bible studies aren't so well written by Sheila and I that they wow people. They are chocked full of God's Word and God's Word teaching them how to walk this path of healing. Wow, that has really been some good stuff. It kind of gives you a different perspective, I think, of of what men go through on the side of abortion. And so what we've done is we talked to Jack Longer, and so we're going to have another episode next week. If you want to find out more about Jack, about what they do, how they help men, you just go to saveone.org. All their information is there. You can get free resources, things like that. And if you know guys who maybe have gone through this and don't know what to do with it, let them check out the podcast. Let them listen to Jack. Let them check out the resources because I think it's something that's going to help them. And that's what we want to do. We want to help men live better lives. So thanks for joining me today. And we'll see you next week for part two of this interview. You've been listening to the Confident Man Podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. You can connect with David on Facebook and Instagram at David the Maxwell. Find resources to help you as a man at theconfidentman.me. That's theconfidentman.me.